say a professional would wait for the present wrapping behind me to stop before starting, but I am not professional. I am impatient and lazy. And the moment we're done, I can leave this conversation and wank. So <laughs> that explains that. We wouldn't possibly want to delay that in any way, shape or form. That would be a travesty. Absolutely not. I just appreciate that it's being delayed for the length of the podcast recording. I mean, sometimes. <laughs> And I also appreciate not knowing when it is. <laughs> when, yeah, like, I don't let you know when I'm multitasking, Conrad. It's a, it's a secret surprise. It's a treasure hunt for the listener. Can you That's find... That's why I call spot... my wanks. They're my <laughs> secret surprise. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh. I went on a train yesterday. Yeah, how were British trains for you? I hear you have a bad history with them. I have a bad history with them, mostly getting bullied on them. Um, because I I don't like British children in general. Mm. They are like having lived in both Britain and America in my life. British children are the rudest, nastiest little twats ever. <laughs> yeah, like I never got the shit in America that I got and continue to get from little British kids, little fucking squits. <laughs> and oh, they love trains and they love being reckless and rude on them yeah um but yeah i've never had like like just people i've i've dealt with in public transport have just well i've spoken at length about like the traumatic time i've had sort of with the social culture in britain so i was pretty nervous about it um it went okay uh i basically i had to go to uh sheffield um, cause I missed a training session cause of some travel conflict, uh, last week. So I needed to play catch up cause I need to learn to suplex people. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I can now. Uh, I am a suplexer of a man. Um, I've got a man suplexed in my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was not late for that train. Yeah. Laura Conrad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a minute on the clock. Oh, in my experience, yeah, British trains have never been on time. <laughs> the one time oh. in my life a British train was efficient was when it wasted no time whatsoever slamming the door in my face a literal second as I was about... I'm not joking. A second as, as I was about to step onto the train, the door shut in my face. This is the secret about British trains. The one moment you assume they won't be on time is the time they'll be on time and they will st- actually enforce the rule that is plastered everywhere, but they don't usually follow, of the doors will lock 30 seconds to a minute before the train departs and no, we're not fucking letting you on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was partially my fault. I I did sort of, I over underestimated how long it would take me to finish eating a jumbo sausage roll and <laughs> and go from the the Leeds station Sainsbury's to the station. But I was on time. God oh. damn it, I was on time. I've got a train. I've got a train story. I got to go on a cool train recently. I want to talk about my train I went on. Yeah. I went on a train that went by the seaside. It went right by the beach. Like the train, you could look out the window and the the beach and the sand and the the water were just there. You just look out the window and there was just a beach there. There was just a beach. It just went along the beach for like several minutes. It just went along the beach. It was fucking great. New favourite train. 
Who let that happen? Uh, the people who made this train, apparently. That's amazing. The train between Reading and Plymouth. There's a stretch where it just goes by the beach. It's fucking good. Oh, I'll have to go. I'll have to go on that recreationally. I mean, fuck going to the actual beach. It's full of sand. But I'll I'll go on a train to look at the beach. I'm I'm going on that train again for a different thing next week, and I'm just like I'm oh, I'm, I'm going to be counting down the seconds until I reach the stretch that goes past the beach. Something to be hyped for in in these uncertain times. Fucking good. Yeah, but by my general experience was okay. Hooray! Got to Sheffield okay. I was a bit late. Only had time to work through some Japanese stranglehold reversals and a suplex or two. But you know, I I got got some work done. Got training again tomorrow, so I can be nice and caught up. And then of course get ready for um whatever happens this coming Saturday because mm-hmm. I'll be in Newcastle again. Uh, the commander having you know we we streamed this past week my my. Debut, my UK in ring debut. Um, It is no secret by now that I was defeated uh, thanks to a little hammer uh, by the hated crypto millionaire Tory twat Zeonox. And I will be looking to redeem myself on Saturday. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I. It doesn't sit well with me. I tell you what, right? (laughs) Being pinned by a Tory doesn't sit well with me. I can't imagine it would. No, I, I'm not thrilled. And yet somehow feels like the state of affairs for the last, like, several <laughs> decades. It does, actually. It does. There's no justice. There's no justice. Well, I'm just glad that you're learning suplexes. That sounds like it'd be useful for the future. They're good. They're fun. Yeah. You get you get a man, right? Or a, Well, I mean, I get a man, right? Yeah. Because... Let's face it, all the worst Tories are. Yeah. So I get a Tory, right? Actually, yeah, man is is pushing it. A Tory. Get his head under my arm, right? Mm. Get his arm, put that over my neck, right? Yeah. Then grab him by the leg, right? And then just pick him up and then slam him back down. Like, over, I head over heels on the fucker. Pretty good. Before we get into games, I've, I've got a random aside I want to do. Yeah. Because... I got a segment that used to be a regular thing on Pogquisition that I want to bring back this week just for just for a little minute. I don't got much to say, but uh Treat yourself, you've earned it. Uh back in the day I used to drink weird drinks on this podcast. You that did. was a thing I would do on a semi regular basis, and yeah. I have come into into possession of uh Coca-Cola Starlight. Are you aware of this? Oh! Wait a minute, the intergalactic shit. Space flavoured Coke. Yes, this is actually Mate, we can have a conversation about this. I tried some last night. Yeah, I have some in front of me. I've tried some. Yeah. It's not un- it's not unpleasant, but it's a weird taste to describe. I've genuinely enjoyed it as a one-off I would never get again, but I'm enjoying it. But I'm enjoying the game of trying to work out how to explain the flavor because it doesn't it it doesn't taste like a flavor that should be a liquid. To me, it tastes like you you wash down like a cinnamon digestive biscuit with Coke. It's 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 got a, like a bready, some kind of like almost pastry be- bready biscuity cinnamon quality to it. It's like like a cinnamon donut or something in the back of a mouthful of Coke. At this point, Steph accidentally bumped the microphone and lost audio. The conversation continued on for a bit before they realized what had happened. Steph disliked the taste of the soda, but loved the artwork on the can. 
Apparently this is space flavor. I didn't know this is what space tasted of. Yeah, I we talked about this on uh let's talk about snacks some time back actually, and I'm still I haven't tried it yet either and I'm still confused why my situation with it is as as a one-off thing, I am genuinely enjoying it. It is not a thing I would pick up and go, this is an everyday drink. But I can certainly go, I will enjoy this by itself as its own very separate experience. And my brain will constantly say this shouldn't be liquid, it tastes like food. It's a solid, why is it liquid? It's good, but why is it liquid? So we clearly have very different opinions yeah. on the Spice yeah. Coke. Uh, I was, yeah, I was, I'd heard so much about it. And I, for something with such like a, a, a promising can design, you know, it's it's covered yeah. in stars and shit. Like, I, I was, I was let down. Luckily, I'd already, I'd uh, bought some Fanta Lemon as well. So I was set for that, yeah. you know. Always have a backup Fanta. That's my opinion. Whenever trying new exactly. drinks, have a backup Fanta. Uh so anyway, should we talk about video games? Ostensibly, uh, sure. the reason we do this. I mean, some people get off on that. Yeah, who's who's played one, Conrad? What you been playing? I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick on you. Oh, are you? Okay, sure. Pick on. Yeah. Pick on. Pick on the one who only played two games. Fine, do that. Okay, fine, fine. I'll leave you till later. Fine. Well, Seth's played a lot of stuff. That's all I'm saying. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to. I just tried to throw the ball to someone, but it can be Steph. Steph, what have you played? If something's listed as great on Steam Deck on the Steam storefront, it should be great on deck. <laughs> if it says great on deck, it shouldn't be not. What What have you played that wasn't great on deck? Oblivion. What's Oblivion? It was listed in great on deck. The Elder Scrolls oh. Oblivion. Oh, the Elder Scrolls Oblivion. It oh. Just it's got like half a dozen, like none of the official controller layouts work properly. All of the community ones are like weird. I gave up on it. This why is the storefront so bad on deck? That's one thing that isn't great on deck. Navigating the store is so laggy and like bits don't load, and it doesn't save your place if you're going on a list of games and then click on one. Like it's so amateur hour. The main place where it's not loading for me at the moment, the store is um if I pick a category that's like um what's what's on sale, like what's on sale at the moment that's great on deck, and I go down that and I can hit the load more entries button like four or five times, and then it will just stop working. Like, that button just stops working and it won't load anymore. Yeah. It is clearly a product that was released not quite ready. It's a mess. It's a mess that I love. <laughs> I'm having a great time with this mess of a device. I. It's fine. It, it's just a hassle. It. It's not... It's not fit for its purpose yet. <laughs> it's just half-baked. It's exactly what I... What I... What I need it to be. And not a finished product in any shape or form. But I'm having a great time with it, and despite the fact it's not a finished product. When I've got a game on it that works, when I've got a game on it that's actually working as advertised, then yeah. Those games are admittedly things that are not using the power of the Steam Deck whatsoever. You know, Vampire Survivors being there, which we will get to, of course. Vampire Survivors <laughs> is the prime example. That's mostly what it gets used for. System seller is what I'm hearing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mainly I just want an excuse to not have to sit at my office in my office at my computer to play Vampire Survivor, and I can play it on the sofa now. So instantly, it was worth it. <laughs> That's the thing. Like it's it's getting like the it's 
getting use as a someone who gets recommended PC games and if they're not on the Switch, I tend to like struggle to get round to them, uh, especially with my back and stuff. Like I don't want to be sat at a desk longer than I have to. That is one thousand percent like the the all I want it to be is. There's a game on PC that everyone's recommending and I want to check it out, but I don't like playing PC games. Can I put it on this and pretend it's not a PC game? And it's been really good for that. Yeah, um, that's... I've still got to work around emulation stuff. Like, I've got that Retroid that's just sat here gathering dust because I can't fucking... I followed the really beginner's easy-peasy guide that anyone who doesn't know anything should be able to follow, and I didn't. Oh no. My technological incompetence knows no bounds. But it was like, okay, here's the beginner's guide to it, right? Load this app that's on it. Fucking app's not on it. So I googled where the app is. Did you do the thing I told you to do, which is go to the, go and do the system update before you follow the tutorial because the tutorial assumes you've done one system update. Yes. No. What? No. Yes. I told you this. It's had an update. It's had an system update. I know that. <laughs> Like, the system got an update. At some point, we will sit down and I'll just do it on a call and I'll sort it for you. Uh, that's what it needs. <laughs> My technological incompetence is boundless. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm holding it right now. It's so cute. It's yellow. I got a cute little yellow Retroid so I can pretend I've got a play date, even though I won't see one of those for a year or two. Yeah. I, I can thankfully tell you that the, the Steam Deck emulation setup is super fucking easy in that there is a website you go to with one program, you download it, you click go, and it sets everything up for you. Like, the Steam Deck's really fucking easy to do, thankfully. See, I thought that'd be the tough one. Oh, no, of the of the two, the Steam Deck couldn't be easier. Oh, fuck. It's real nice. All right. Yeah, if you could send me a link to that, then I'll, I'll set that up, because then I can talk about that next week. Yeah. As as I said, tell me anytime you are free, and I will I will help you do. Alrighty, alright. I'll point you at the thing. We can do it. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, because yeah, I just wanna. God, I want. I want to play Silent Hill two on the Steam Deck. That's what I've decided. That's what I've just now decided I need to do. That's very doable. Yeah, that's what I want. Okay, yeah. so Steam Deck. It's. It's a nice machine. It's a vampire survivor's machine. But it is a vampire survivor's <laughs> machine. Um, now, last week, I gushed about vampire survivors. Conrad gushed about vampire survivors. Laura, you were incredibly tantalised by vampire survivors. Yeah. Then shortly after we were done recording, I got a message from you gushing about vampire survivors. <laughs> yeah, I've... Uh, I, spoilers for this week's Polquisition, I've done basically nothing but play vampire survivors for a week. It's amazing. It's great. It's the killer app for Steam Deck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that game is a fucking dopamine factory. Yep. It is every bit of the dopamine prize that I had hoped it would be. It is, it is ridiculous that game is only £2. How the fuck is that game that cheap and that good? Yeah, it's it's wild. And still adding content. Like, there was an update yeah. in the time since we last recorded that added, like, what, five, six new challenges, uh, an additional character, an additional weapon. There's an additional character with a weapon, and they added an evolution for the Gatti um, weapon, which... Mm -hmm. Which, uh, that's one of the two things I have left to do in the game that and and survive the bone zone for 30 yeah. minutes i've done all of the all of the unlocks all the challenges which mm -hmm. i rarely do with games i've done right? all of them the all that's left to accomplish is like the super secret characters like the yeah um you know where you've got to like defeat a certain enemy that's usually like 
next to impossible to kill and then do a code on the keyboard and stuff <laughs> like that and obviously trying to beat death like i haven't yeah. done any of the cheesy method i beat One of the death secret- last night whoa actually. i what beat death do? last night um so i used the um there's a there's a, I, I was reading about it actually and there's this fascinating fascinating method for uh defeating death that sort of leverages several mechanics and one i'm really kind of excited to talk about this so i hope if you don't mind oh go ahead yeah okay so the thing about death in vampire survivors is that their their hit points are based on your level when it spawns yeah right Mm. and it's something like six hundred thousand hit points times your level something Big like that, yeah. It's crazy. It's a ridiculous amount of damage already. And then, you know, you figure by the end of a good run, you could very easily be over a level 100, depending yeah. on, you know, how yeah. hard you're gunning for it. And so that makes it, from a practical stance, infeasible to kill death, especially when you figure it adds another death every minute that you are remaining over the timer. So, key one is spawning death at as low a level as you can manage. Yeah. Right? Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, there's going to be certain equipment, the laurel, the 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 clock lancer, um, things like that that yeah. are going to be necessary to prevent them from dealing damage to you and killing you instantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that that's the main trick seemingly is to keep your level low and that plays in with a specific character uh clarici clarici is one of these characters that starts with a weapon that's not particularly easy to use to kill enemies uh, is that the one with the lightning they start with the no. lightning no no it's the one that starts with the holy water oh yeah yeah and okay. so to counter this element of their character Mm. they are provided passive bonuses for the first few levels of their run yeah so this is why i asked if it was the electric one because i know the electric one does that as well for the first couple of levels you have um considerably more and faster lightning strikes than you do once you pass pass i think it's level two like your frequency of your starting weapon drops off right because it's trying to compensate for the fact it's random and that sort of thing yes the lightning character gets frequency Mm. the holy water character gets um area effect right and it it decreases it starts out at 400 percent and decreases Mm. by 100 percent for every level that you have but the holy water is still not a super reliable weapon. You know what would be a more reliable weapon? Mm-hmm. The rune tracer. Yeah. This is the crystal that bounces around the room. Yeah. That does piercing and goes through the crowds and stuff. And at 300%, it is larger than the hitbox area of your character. <laughs> okay. So here is what the, the run consists of. Starting the game with Clarici, and you want to have a build that um, removes all experience bonus, you know, you take off all your experience bonuses, all of your range attraction bonuses, because you don't want to accidentally pick up gems. Mm. And you ru- you're in the inlaid library, 
you run up and grab that green gem that's on the table, so you instantly get a level. And then you try to get the rune tracer. And if you don't, you just start over until you get that. And then you position yourself in the area surrounding that gem. There is a couple bookshelves. This is one of the repeating patterns, uh, table and chairs. Oh. I have heard about using the, the library bookshelves. Yeah. I, I, are you, is it just going to bounce back and forth? So that stuff can't touch you. The rune tracer is so large that it can't escape from within this little box area, <laughs> except ah. very, very rarely, right? And the other effect that's interesting about the rune tracer specifically is how it applies its damage. Like most of the weapons in the game, it has a cooldown period between hits that it applies to enemies, right? Hmm. But those cooldowns are reset whenever it bounces off a wall. So you position yourself in there. And there's a couple of other contingency things like uh, you need to get a red gem to appear on screen because the way the game manages experience is once there are 400 gems on screen, it consolidates them into one. Okay. For the purposes of keeping the the engine running efficiently and, and so forth. And so you have to make sure that that gem is there visible so you know where it is and where you have to run at 30 minutes mm. because you have nothing. Yeah. Um, there's also a, an outside risk that you could still accidentally pick up some gems and gain a level mm. uh, because some of the Medusa head enemies will float around um, the, the bookshelves and get behind you. And it, I mean, you can still die. It's not a, it's not a guarantee. Some of those like witch enemies that come in at 22 and 26 minutes, uh, they're real damage resistant and they can slip in. Is that the ones that's, that time slow? Uh, when they come in. Uh, they might be, yeah. Yeah. So it's not a guarantee, but once once 30 minutes hits and death spawns, it's, okay, now dash out and get the, the gem, and then it's just leveling for a while. <laughs> I I am still playing around in the fucking kids' end of the pool with regards to this game. I... I'm about ready to start looking at that challenges list and working through things deliberately, but I'm still at the point where I'm just having fun experimenting with builds. Uh, the four main levels, I've done each of them half an hour, unlocked the uh, turbo mode or whatever it is, done runs on those. I've been trying to learn naturally what accessories will cause me to get the upgraded versions of some of the abilities. Mm -hmm. um, I... I really enjoy playing as the character that uh, the the witch that fires glitter up and down. Oh yes, I really enjoy I really enjoy her combined with like um early on get the whip or something so you've got some left or right damage. I unlocked them very very late and they are oh. really good. And I'll tell you what, when you get that weapon evolved that they have, if if you've not done yes. it already, yes, yeah, it's ooh, beastly. My favorite run I did a little while ago that went ridiculously well was I think it was um it was her uh, glitter going up and down I had whips left and right I had garlic which I fucking love because like all of the the nothing enemies will just melt as they reach you uh I think I also had the um the 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 runes that bounce around and the book that circles you mm -hmm. and I had all of those plus the appropriate um accessories that would let me like evolve them to their better forms Oh, that this game is so satisfying when you have just the 
everything is dying and I'm having a great time. Yeah. It's a it's such a it's such a good game. Now, one of the weapons that uh, it, one of the things I think is actually really interesting about this game is that every single weapon is ultimately very useful. Even the ones that are inconvenient. In fact, in many ways, some of the ones that are inconvenient to use early on wind up being some of the most powerful. Such as the, uh, it wipes out all the enemies, but also all the experience. Yes, the pentagram, that's right. Because (laughs) when you get that evolved, it kills everything, but it replaces them all with gems and it replaces some of them with even more valuable gems, and then it sucks all the gems in for you. It's a debuff until it's certainly not. There are a couple of weapons in the game that, in their evolved forms, uh, they rely on other weapons, and so when they evolve, they combine into one, and that opens up a slot. And so often what I will do... Like the birds. The birds are one, yes. Yeah. The uh, uh, the guns are another. Mm. Um, I go for the guns a lot. I like the guns. The guns are... I didn't think I would like the guns, and then they became a very big part of my strategy for a long time. Um, but, you know, once I've I've cleared down that pairing, I'm gonna... Uh, I'm probably gonna grab a pentagram, you know? Unless I'm trying to do something specific, if I'm just there to try to earn money, because I still actually don't have enough cash to have bought everything yeah i'm i'm pretty close but i still think i need another like 40k Mm. so yeah i'm i'm grinding if i'm grinding away at that i'll just grab the pentagram because then it's just that's just money the rest of the run that's all it is it just gets everything and it gives me money oh the game is so good yeah it's 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 so good the craftsmanship i can't stop playing it it's very good yeah, the only other thing I played uh, this week, and I believe you talked about this last week, Conrad, uh, R- Ravita? Yes, Ravita. Yes, yes, I started playing Ravita. That game's really interesting. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So for anyone who doesn't remember, this is side-scrolling twin-stick shooter roguelike. Yep. Where the gimmick is that your health is a resource. Um, uh, You can spend temporary hearts uh so like you can take damage in exchange for items throughout levels of the run uh and then you can upgrade those weapons and items and things by spending permanent heart containers but you're building up a meter as you kill enemies which can be used to heal you and if you're at full health you rebuild back up those permanent hearts and you do that back and forth balance um i really like that and, and this seems like such a simple thing, but I know so many games would, like, take the, the dickish move on this. I really like that you can see exactly what you will get in exchange for how much damage you're going to take when you're deciding which upgrades to get. Yep. That, that is really appreciated. And it feels pretty well balanced that, like, the trade-off of the damage you're taking versus uh, the what you're getting rewarded for that does feel worthwhile. The main thing I hadn't really twigged until I played it myself that like hadn't registered I don't know if you talked about it and if you did it just didn't click with me was the fact that you're kind of incentivized between between levels when you get the like spend your permanent heart containers to get upgrades you're kind of incentivized to do that down to basically so there's not anything above your temporary health 
because that puts you back in a position where the next time you can power up, you're starting to rebuild, refill those those permanent hearts anyway. Mm-hmm. Like you're sort of incentivized to not have a bunch of room in your health bar that is technically heart containers, but there's not health in them because then to get more containers, you're going to have to fill them up anyway to start doing that. It's like, oh, I might as well spend them and build build them back. I'll... Right. Yeah. The, the economy of how you spend your health in this is surprisingly well balanced. And I really dug that. Yeah, I, I find myself often in positions where I'm just like, eh, what the heck? I'm gonna, I'll spend a heart. Yeah. You know, I'll spend some health to get this item. Even in the chests where I won't know what it is. I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's usually worth the risk. There's even the stuff that's not great is useful. For the most part. I'm I'm often in a position where I'm like, there's very little meaningful difference between I have one heart of health amongst five containers versus one heart of health in the only container I have. Right. There's very little meaningful difference. I might as well get more powerful and and hope the trade-off works. Yeah. 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 I don't have a huge amount to say about it other than, yeah, you 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 were you were right. That's a really interesting little roguelike, and I I very much enjoy its core mechanic. It's real fun. And I appreciate the speed of it. Yeah. Yeah, like, the the rooms are all very, very small. You get in, you get out. Yeah. The action is quick. It's incentivizing you to do that quickly. But it also incentivizes you to be thorough because it won't, you know, these rooms will have hidden breakable walls that'll lead to other rooms with rewards in them. But they, you'll only find those if you hit them in the combat phase. Once the room is cleared, those are no longer accessible. Yeah. So it sort of pushes you to go run to the outer bounds of the rooms, or you might miss those opportunities. Yeah. I I like that uh, there's, there's a lot of options in the settings that allow you to really speed through the early sections if you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can set it so you can button mash through the loading transition between floors. If you know that you reliably can do the early floors like really quickly and you don't need to be taking your time, you can turn up the game speed and just play those first few floors faster and then turn it back to regular speed after. Also, the game's just got really nice accessibility setting support. I really appreciate any game that lets you do the Celeste thing of turning down the game speed in increments down to about half speed. There is some really nice stuff with um, aim assist, which is very rare in 2D perspective pixel art games. Very rarely put that in. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the option for um, not having to use the fire button to fire and just where, like, if you use the right stick to aim in a direction, it just auto fires. Yep. There's a lot of really appreciated stuff. The game even has like a uh, a control scheme preset from uh, on Switch for mapping everything to a single Joy-Con. Like it's, it's it's some nice thoughtfulness in this kind of thing. It's a really really neat little game. That. Yep. What about you, Steph? What you been playing this week? Oh, all sorts. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, one one benefit of the Steam Deck is it's let me play some of these indie PC games that aren't on Switch. Yeah. Um. So one that caught my eye was a game called Nightmare Reaper, which is another one of those roguelike games. It's another one. Yeah. Just a, another one of those. We seem to like them on this show. We like them. Yeah. The the industry seems to fucking love them, and that's <laughs> fine because, yeah. like, especially in a portable format, like run based games just 
work well for me. Right. You know, I can just yeah. like, you know, lie in bed or whatever and then just do and run. Um, Nightmare Reaper has, um, it's very short in that regard. The runs are very, very short. Um, but it's a first person shooter um, with a sort of very retro look, you know, very pixely. Makes me think of Blood, mm. the old FPS Blood, um, in terms of visual style and gore, because it's very, things explode in bloody chunks. The game takes place in a presumably some sort of psychiatric ward or something. You're you're in a room and it's locked and there's a bed and there's a little window you can look out and there's little documents on a table and as you beat each level a new document's added and it's a doctor talking about his experience with the patient which is presumably the player character. Um, if you interact with the bed you go to sleep and that's where the gameplay lives. And it's a very s- straightforward roguelite FPS. Uh, you go from room to room um, with waves of sort of mostly like zombie kind of enemies uh, attacking you and other sorts of demons and, and monsters. Um, weapons are procured randomly in each level. Um, and they they range from very mundane, like, you know, shotguns and, and pistols to some really strange stuff. Um, cryo beams and multiple books that can shoot different things like fire or um, electricity uh, little lament configuration type boxes like the the puzzle box from Hellraiser uh, there are two types of those one you can throw down and it just like um, acts as a, a triggered trap and another one you can throw at enemies and capture them and make them fight for you all sorts of, of, of unique stuff to the point where the uh the mundane weapons almost feel more exotic. It's like, oh, look, I got a machine gun. That makes a nice change <laughs> from the fucking, you know, cryo lasers and rail guns and, and magic staves that shoot poison blobs. Um, so that's cool. There's a big variety of weapons. The moment-to-moment gameplay is very good. Uh, it's very responsive, very fast. Uh, it does have an issue where it I don't think it quite works the way it wants to. I feel like it wants you to jump into a room running and gunning like it's painkiller or something. But it doesn't give you quite enough ammo for that. And despite being quite generous with health pickups, you are so flimsy. Like, enemies can chew... One of the regular enemies is a shotgun-wielding zombie. And the amount of damage that one blast from a shotgun zombie can do is huge so the game doesn't quite work how it wants to the point where cheesing it's the best way to do it like you edge yourself into a room and coax some enemies and then shoot them as they come towards you but sometimes you walk into a room the door shuts behind you and then it's wave after wave of like just tons of enemies spawning in and in those situations i usually just think well i'm dead because I just don't quite feel like the defense is there, um, the inherent de- defense is there for the player to do what it wants. Like, I, don't, I just don't feel I can get away with being as aggressive as it wants me to be. Uh, and that's typified by the melee weapons. There are quite a few of those, like a katana or um, a sword or a whip. Um, and they adjust trouble especially when you start fighting you know enemies by the dozens that explode on death or fall into a big acid pile on death it's there's a lot of contradiction in the gameplay mechanics Um, but by far the biggest issue for me is the ammo count between runs you can pick one level one weapon that you have in your inventory you have to sell the rest before leaving the level but you can pick one that carries over 
And while I like that idea, I found a legendary grade knife and all I do is keep it because if I use any other weapon, it becomes too luck based. Mm. It becomes too much based in, well, I've got a hope that one or two weapons drop in the next room or I'm fucked. The moment I go into one of those rooms where it's dozens of enemies at once, if I don't get a weapon drop, I will run out of ammo and all I've got is a kick. And I've already described, like, using even a good melee weapon can be lethal. Being stuck with the kick, which does barely a pittance of damage, like, it just doesn't work. So I've had to kind of be boring and stick with a knife, which not only uh, has the uh, sort of a melee, it also has a thrown option that also doesn't consume ammo. So I can get through a level, um, or at least I can get through to the next weapon drop, flicking my knife at people. And that's the way I found to get through it, uh, which I think is a shame because it's a good game. Uh, I've actually really enjoyed it. I just think it's kind of bottlenecked me into playing it in a way that I don't believe the game actually wants to be played, uh, which is an interesting problem. You know, when you have games that the developers have a clear idea of how it should be played, but the mechanics force you to be antithetical to that. Yeah. This is one of those games. However, once you are in the moment when you are when when RNG is good to you, uh, when you have a good bevy of weapons to cycle through, it's fucking solid stuff. Nightmare Reaper might not quite work how it wants, but it is a fucking good game. As a Steam Deck game, I've been enjoying it very much, and I find the the general sort of conceit interesting, and I find the leveling up system interesting. It's weird, rather than just like go to a skill tree and select upgrades. The skill tree is like the map from Super Mario Bros. 3. And like it's got those little tracks with little boxes that represent levels. And you move to a level, like move to a skill um, box on the tree, click to unlock it, and then you will play a Super Mario Bros. level. <laughs> like you just play a platforming level. Some of them like literally uh, designed off of existing Super Mario Brothers levels, with little zombies that you bounce on the heads of, little platforms to jump and spikes to avoid. You do this in order to collect bonus coins to basically lessen the cost of the skill, because it's unlocked with coins. So you can actually lessen your costs by playing through this. You do have to play it just to get to the exit to get the upgrade, but if you don't go for the coins, it's usually a bit easier. But it's an interesting idea. That on its own's interesting. Then you realise there are different cartridges as you play and you swap them out. So you swap the skill tree cartridge out for a different tree cartridge and then it's Pokemon. And then instead of the different skills being represented by Mario Brothers levels, they're represented by trainers on a map and you go up to them and you have to battle their Pokemon ah. and beat it in order to get the skill. Uh, and then there's another one, which is... Uh, these I've only seen three so far, but the other one is like a, a, a shoot-em-up, uh, like a scrolling vertical shooter. It's really weird that they did that, um, but I do. it's very cute. Uh, I do find it sometimes gets in the way. You know, I just want to shoot stuff in the main game, but in order to unlock something, they want me to, you know, do a turn-based battle. And because it's just ancillary to the main game, it's not like it's super complex. You're not getting, like... You're not getting the rich leveling uh, and um, hidden value experience of Pokemon 
uh, with this sub game. Yeah. But it is, it's cute that it's there. And there's a lot going on with this game. I, it's one of those games that, um, like, for someone like Conrad, the kind of games you stream, mm-hmm. it might be worth you looking into. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it does have, in my opinion, quite a bit of antithetical game design with regards to, you know, I think with some rebalancing, I think they could perfect it. But as it stands, I think it's a it's a solid game. Yeah, Nightmare Reaper is a pretty pretty good one. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Who's next? I think me and Conrad, have you nope. got anything I else? I have played nothing no. else this week but Vampire Survivors. Oh wait, no, that's not that's not true. You did Evil Dead. I forgot. Yeah, I played that Evil Dead game. So I got when you mentioned it before we recorded. I got momentarily excited because I thought it was the new one coming out. No, but no, you played the older one. Yes, I played Evil Dead Regeneration. I actually played it on on stream yesterday because I was thinking about it. You know, the new Evil Dead games coming out at the end of this week, as of the time we record this, and um, I'm not gonna play it. No. Because it's just not—it's just not my thing. Well, no, it's like one of those asymmetrical multiplayer kind of things, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, more power to them. Oh yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm sure. I, I hope it's great. You know, I think it's the same studio that did the Friday the Thirteenth one. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. You know, I mean, I—I don't—I I don't remember how the long-term reaction to that. But whatever. I think it was very well. I didn't like it when it first came out, but I like the idea of what it's doing enough sure that i i certainly want to see how they do evil dead mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but then i was like wait but i remember liking the last evil dead game that they made or that i remember them making maybe they've made something in, in between i'm forgetting but yeah in, in 2005 there was evil dead regeneration this was published by thq I, I'm trying to remember if this is the one I've played. Is it the one with the little? It is the one with the oh, little person. Oh, I remember this. Yes, uh, the little person, which in a lot, in some ways, like okay, so Evil Dead as a franchise, in a lot of ways, and and I've been listening to the the Blank Check podcast. Um, I don't know if you've ever listened to this. It's a a show where they talk about directors um, and their film their filmographies Mm -mm. and they're doing Sam Raimi right now in part because the Marvel movie is out and yeah very very quick side note no spoilers also don't give Disney money there are other ways to see that film that is the most Sam Raimi possible fucking Marvel film and it's quite wild to have seen that very cookie cutter universe be allowed to have Sam Raimi do a Sam Raimi. Well, it's I mean, you know. It's 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 interesting. It's a bad film. It's interesting. It's the most it's the most I guess it's the most Sam Raimi a Marvel movie's been allowed to be since before the MCU. Yeah, yeah, agreed. You know, um but that's this I like the the Raimi Spider-Man movies. Um Yeah. This is, this is Sam Raimi when when blood and violence are allowed for some reason, which is weird. Right. Yeah. That's but yes, that's the other thing is that I'm I've been yeah. led to understand. I'm looking forward to seeing it because I've been led to to understand that there's a oh by the way yes this is a film made by Sam Raimi moment. Yeah. Oh, there's there's a, there's a few Sam Raimi sure did this. Yep. Yep. So I'm keen. I'm keen for that. But Evil Dead as a franchise, one of the observations that the Blank Check podcast was ma- was making about it is that the the series, in a lot of ways, 
sort of hinges on, all right, so how abusive can we be to our friend Bruce? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? And there's a little bit of, like, it, it getting back at Sam almost in this because the Deadite is named, you know, in a nod to Sam Raimi. He's named Sam. He's constantly brutally killed as a game mechanic. And and he's voiced by Sam's brother, Ted, who has also appeared in a lot of, of Raimi films and uh, is a somewhat entertaining guy in his own right. He's a he's a very fun performer. I like yeah. Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi never will never do like some massive leading role anywhere. Never. But always does like just lots of brilliant little supporting mm-hmm. roles and mm-hmm. things. He was the the grandmother in um, Evil Dead Two. Yep. The will swallow your soul. And this game, like the mood, is very. Army of Darkness tone. Yeah, from what I remember, it was um, yeah, they just lent into the comedy element of it a lot, a lot. Um, and some of that does, you know, of course, doesn't age well. Wasn't great then, you know, maybe. Um, and that's in part the character of Ash. Ash is a kind of a regressive dude. He's kind of gross and sexist, and you know self-interested and that's who the character is and he's one of those characters it's like al bundy uh in a way al bundy is another one of these characters that is uh gross yeah pig yeah yeah and he's supposed to be pig you're supposed to laugh at him uh because he's wrong and he's repeatedly proven to be wrong and always gets his comeuppance and yet somehow the character is so likable to so many people that they embraced him as their hero. Um and Ash is uh one of those characters that I think has a uh, risk of of you know falling victim to the same thing. Um certainly what little I saw of Ash versus Evil Dead uh suggested that but I didn't get more than a couple of episodes in. I love that series. I Ash vs. Evil Dead is such a fun show. Mm-hmm. It's genuinely fucking fun. Yeah, I keep meaning to get around to it, and, and Lynn and I will probably watch it, because I think, I, she, I think she likes Evil Dead um, a lot. So, But this follows on from the events of Evil Dead 2, as if Army of Darkness hadn't happened. Uh, it's, it has to do with a... German mad scientist who's trying to use the Necronomicon to conquer the world. It's so silly. The slapstick is there. It looks surprisingly good for a 2005 PlayStation 2 game. Like, the character model of Ash, really, the face looks very close to Mad Ash in the cabin. That sort of cartoonish expression, wide-eyed, it it works. No, yeah, like, looking back to, like, remind myself, it, yeah, for the time, genuinely fucking quality. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Now, you know, it's fairly simplistic by modern standards, um, but you do get some interesting weapon upgrades um, once you do get Sam going along with you. There's a lot of escort mission stuff that's... It's not too difficult, so that kind of helps. 
Um, and you also take control of them and they have their own little runs through the environments. There's another thing I noticed while playing is that there is just a very tight economical use of the environments that they've built. You pass through them multiple times using both characters and sometimes multiple times just as Ash, but it doesn't necessarily feel repetitive and it's all just kind of impressively laid out. Yeah, it's a shockingly good game for what was a budget title, I believe, when it came out in 2005. And uh, it, it kind of holds up. It's, it's worth checking out. If, if you are looking for a single-player Evil Dead experience and you're not going to get that, uh, but you missed this, it, it's, uh, yeah. it's definitely in the spirit of it. For sure. Mm -hmm. God, you've got me wanting to play it again. I might have to add that to Silent Hill 2 on the list of things I'm going to legally play on the Steam Deck. Yeah. Yeah, I want to give it a go again. Yeah, it's 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 pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Steph, you played anything else? I think uh, it's just you left Is now. it just me? Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I have played other things. Um, because it was just listed in the great on deck thing and I was bored, I downloaded Sonic Lost World and played a bit of that. Um, I don't know. Did either of you ever. I think it was on the Wii U? Yeah, I, 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 I played Sonic Lost World. I see why people really didn't like it. <laughs> and going back, like, a lot of it is like, holy shit, this is rough. But at the time, I thought it was a pretty good game. And I still respect what it was going for now. It's one of those Sonic games that I genuinely still look back on and go, if you'd just had the confidence to go, we didn't quite get it, but if we refine this, it could be something. If yeah. they'd stuck with it, I think they could genuinely have done something really good with it. Mm -hmm. like, they had the kernels of a really interesting direction for Sonic, and they were like, it didn't work on the first try, Fuck it, throw it out. And it, it feels very different to a lot of modern Sonic games, even at its most modern Sonic-ish. Like, Sonic moves a lot slower, which I don't necessarily have a problem with, um, because I think... I've, I've often argued that the idea that Sonic should always be fast is actually antithetical to how the yeah. series started, where speed was more a... Um, it was a break from the platforming. A yeah. Like, yeah, like a reward yeah. for the... Like, and I've always argued that, um, but people sort of are used to the modern things where they think it's like, no, you've got to speed through levels at such breakneck, um, well, speed, the the level, like, I I, I struggle with the, the mechanics and controls of a lot of modern Sonic games because I feel speed over any other mechanic leads to some shitty gameplay. I still have, like, a gut feeling that the way to make Sonic work is to have Sonic just be a, ge a general platforming character, but let's say you put him in some sort of open-world environment, and you use his speed for something like, rather than give him a horse for getting across between areas of the open world quickly, that's where you use the run button and sprint really fast to the next place you want to do content. Like, I feel like, use the going fast to get between things, see, and to be like, I feel like I'm going fast, I'm traversing a big space, yeah. but don't try and make it part of the platforming. See, for me, my, my belief was that if they want to keep doing like these, what are essentially platforming on tracks, they should just give him car controls. Just like, have an accelerate button, rather than try and make you, like, 
move fast using the stick while going left and right using the stick on a track going forwards. Like, it's always felt awkward to me. Yeah. When I'm like, if I just had an accelerate button. Yeah. And then could do left and right. Like, some of the best elements of modern sonic games are when you only have to push forward but the track is split or has different walls and you're meant to hit the triggers left and right to get sonic to switch tracks left and right that makes sense to me mechanically that makes sense have have levels that are either designed to be f-zero levels or levels of uh what was it called thumper oh yeah yeah go one way or the other don't try and also be platforming at the same time Yes, the strange hybridization is 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 an issue. Yeah, which is odd that I like that I respect Lost World because it is nothing but weird hybridization. It is a weird game. Yeah, but it's fun, creative, weird hybridization. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is yeah, they were onto something, and I remember reviewing it at the time. I believe that's what I said. I said this might not have nailed it, but they're onto something. They should refine this, and they never did. It feels like they were very close to what could have been their, like, this is, it's nowhere near this on quality-wise, but it feels like it could have been their Mario Galaxy in terms yes. of, like, it really relies on abstract, uh, weird objects that are floating in a void that purely exist because, like, that would be a fun space to do platforming on, not because it has to make sense. That's basically what they were going for with, with, with um, sort of a, a modern Sonic meets Mario Galaxy with all of the gravity and going like around spherical and circular platforms. And they were so close to getting it, yeah. But it's interesting how like just everything about it is slightly different, uh, which again, I think fans uh, sort of turn them off like something as simple as the homing attack to jump on enemies the way that feels the way sonic arches with the bounce and then bounces from enemy to enemy it's different it's just and i think i prefer it in lost world to the modern one where he sort of zooms like a bullet hits something then sort of hangs in the air and then zooms on another this one was very much he arcs around bounces on an enemy then if you keep tapping it's boing 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 and it's very jumpy and I don't, it's weird to say cartoony as compared to uh, other games that are all... Like, the whole series is cartoony, but Lost World compared to the others is cartoony in comparison. It's It's got more of a feel of squash and stretch animation. Yes, yes. And I really like that. I do think that uh, many of the levels are designed fucking terribly. Yeah. Uh, but that you could say that of most... Even Sonic Generations, a game I... You know, the, the one in the series I like the most out of the modern Sonics... There's still plenty of levels that are fucking terribly designed. Um, but this one, when they nail it, they do fucking nail it. I would rather sit down and play this than most other Sonic games that are arguably more consistently designed with fewer bad levels. Because this at least feels like it's trying interesting things. And I think it's more hits than misses, even though some of the misses are like, oh, you completely fucking missed the mark here. Yeah. And I liked I liked the villains. Yeah. The name was edgy, the Deadly Six, right? They should have been called something better than that. But the actual characters I thought were cool. Um I I I like the the visual designs of them and their personalities, except for the big fat character whose whole com comedy quirky gimmick is he's fat and he eats and therefore spins like this. It's like if I I was ranting about this earlier. I might even do a Jimquisition on it. If I go through the rest of my life without another fat character that does the Lenny from Mice of Men comedy voice, yeah, I'll be fucking thrilled. I'm just tired of it. 
I am just fucking tired of it. Oh, it's a big, fat, stupid person. Okay, well done. Have you got anything actually original or even funny to say with that? No? No, they're just going to eat a big sandwich, are they? Fuck off, you cunt. But other than that, uh, I, I thought they were interesting villains. I do like seeing at least one or two of them still pop up in Sonic Media. Because um, I think otherwise they're they're more or less forgotten. But I, I thought it was cute. And, and I do think Lost World, it's very flawed. But it's cute and they should have carried on with it. They should have worked on refining that. Because they were onto something and they've just kind of yeah. never never pursued it. Um, I guess I'll just quickly rattle through. Um, yeah. Uh, I will. I'll save Elderborn till I play it a bit more. But it's basically a first-person Souls-like, um, which is it's interesting. But I kind of got stuck. The level design is. It's easy to not know where to go next. It's not like it's. Hmm. It's not intricate. It's not a maze. It's just poorly signposted. Um, but I played some Death Trash, um, which is basically that. Um, the meat, the the cyberpunk RPG that got a lot of attention because it's mostly meat. Oh, I don't know if any of you saw like the gifs of like sort of the the big octopus made of flesh and yeah, very sort of pixely fleshy kind of visuals, very reminiscent of like Fallout. Um, and that's basically what it is. It's like Fallout, but with real time, like original Fallout, with real time combat and a lot of meat. Yeah, I'm looking at some of that meat now. That sure is some meat. Yeah, it's very distinctive. It's an early access, and unfortunately, save files aren't going to carry over to the final release. So, meh. But it is on Steam Deck. You know, it work. It's great on deck, <laughs> and uh, it does work. You know, pretty well on on Steam Deck. And I, I really, I'm trying to like it. Because I've been looking forward to Death Trash for a while. Um, and I do, I think the, the actual, the gameplay's good. Um, you know, exploration, the areas are really quite large with lots to do. There's some interesting uh, NPCs to talk to, leveling up and everything. It's all very reminiscent of early Fallout and that's fine. That's perfectly good. Plenty of space for that. But I did, I started streaming it and then I gave up halfway through and then put on Nightmare Reaper instead because it was pissing me off. Because it was, it ended up being one of those games where you bait an enemy into an attack, hit it, run away, bait, hit, run away, bait, hit, and then you're just slowly moving backwards the whole time. Because the dodge just is shit, especially when there are enemies with a pistol that fires twice. So you dodge the first shot and then get shot with the second. I found that trying to engage more than one enemy at once is suicide. Uh, I, I, oh, it's annoying. It's very much reminiscent of Nightmare Reaper in the fact that I love what, what it's doing. I just don't think it's quite balanced in a way that works the way it should. Hmm. Which is a shame. Um, and I find it less... I find it more grating with Death Trash than Nightmare Reaper, which I am happy to play through. But with Death Trash, I just got annoyed when I was like, okay, well, here are two enemies at once. They're rushing me. I'm dead. <laughs> um... Yeah, it's it's just it's an irritant, and I I really would like to to play more of it, but I don't think I'm gonna have the patience. Yeah. But there you go. Um, that is what I have played. Well, in that case, should we get on to some newsy bits? Because yeah. some of them news happened. I wanna I wanna talk about I wanna talk about a story involving Reggie Fils and May. Mm. 
Reggie! Reggie! We've got to talk about Reggie this week. That grifting con merchant. Sorry if he's into NFTs. That's what he is. It's what they all are. Oh, he's he's up again this week for... um. So you know how we've been talking recently about uh, Nintendo of America reportedly has some problems with uh, poor worker culture, particularly we've been talking about the treatment of contract workers there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Reggie's been doing a doing a tour, he's got a book come out or something, and someone asked him, Hey, you were in charge of Nintendo of America, uh, you know, during the the dates that some of these allegations are about. Uh what what do you what do you make of these allegations? And his response This isn't the Nintendo that I left. To summarize, he basically tries to pretend that none of the abuse and bad treatment of contract workers happened while he was there. No, 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 it must all have started after he left. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I... No one ever takes fu- No one's ever gonna face any fucking consequences no. for anything they do. No. Anything they're responsible for. He's out. He's never going to face consequences for being in charge of a company that was treating workers poorly. I mean, the people who are still in charge of abusive companies aren't facing any fucking consequences. Once you're out, you're well away. Yeah. And here's the thing. He is at a point now where he's not going to, you know, at least as, as far as he stated, he's not going to seek another executive position in his career. He's doing other things. He's moving on with his life. He's out, out. He could just be honest now. He could just be like, you know what? Yeah. Some of these things, regrettably, did happen. And maybe it's time for us to consider some opportunities. Or just, you know, or just be able to say, this is the cost of doing business, unfortunately. It's the bottom line. But no, he has to lie and say, this wasn't the co- this is exactly the company that you ran, Reggie. Yeah, yeah. So, to, to look at his actual statements, like, more than just the one I read there... Um, he tries to, like, hand wave away his involvement by being like, at this point, I'm three years removed from being president of Nintendo America. It's been a while. As I read the stories and read the reports, it struck me, this isn't the Nintendo that I left. Literally, some of these allegations are, like, dated to times where you were in charge. It wasn't the Nintendo that he was in charge of, because the current Nintendo is one where some people are starting to speak up about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's the difference. He he doesn't actually address the allegations, but tries to sound like he's addressing them. Just a small example, I was famous for doing bi-monthly and quarterly lunches with employees. So like, okay, cool, once every two or three months you maybe had lunch that maybe the contractors were allowed to technically sign up for. That doesn't dismiss the allegation that 99% of the time they were walled away and not allowed to be involved in anything going on. It doesn't address shit like, oh, you're not allowed to take her to the hospital and she's not allowed to use the first aid room. Like, yeah. See, yeah. He's a fucking coward. They all are. Yeah. Fucking cowards. Cowardly fucking statement. Men who want power and leadership, but not one iota of the responsibility that comes with it. Yeah. We got some more updates about ABK, because of course we do. So currently we're aware that Raven Software's QA team is trying to trying to unionize. They're in the middle of voting. Hopefully around the end of this month we should know whether they've successfully unionized. Activision Blizzard is just getting really fucking like desperate with their union busting attempts uh, during the voting period. 
you know, they, they've been sending a bunch of union-busting emails trying to scare people out of uh, voting for the union, suggesting that, you know, we're going to impede game development and affect promotions and benefits. Uh, but my favourite one, and the one that made me put this on the list today, following a meeting, uh, a union-busting meeting, employees received an email with an attachment that simply read, Please vote no. <laughs> that was the whole, that, that's oh, the level of desperation they've gotten to, is just sending emails going, please, please. vote no. Please vote no. <laughs> From what we are aware of um, voting intentions, it does not seem like the union busting is in any way fucking working. All of the people within Raven Software who are talking about their voting intentions are very clearly like, yeah, no, 100%. Like, they're talking about the fact that the strength of the union busting effort makes it really clear that Activision Blizzard is scared of them unionizing, therefore unionizing's in their benefit. And I'm glad the union busting isn't getting to them. So, please, please vote no. That's amazing. Yeah. Activision Blizzard is continuing to try and launder their... um their reputation at the moment, particularly, like, ahead of the Microsoft acquisition to try and be like, hey, see, we're a different company to last time. Um, And I bring this story up just so people, like, pay attention to the fact it's happening. Uh, Activision Blizzard has a new vice president head of culture. Mmm, culture. Love that. Yeah, J uh, Jessica Martinez, who uh, has been brought in to... Uh, be a part of Blizzard's ongoing initiative to create a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace culture where people at every level can learn, grow, and bring their most creative selves to our work. This is very clearly a hire that's meant to be like, hey, we've got a person, problem solved, uh, without getting rid of the people who were the problem. So... I hope they do great work. I hope the job works out great for them. Um, does not solve the problem. Do not give... Hang on, let me... I'm counting. That... Nope, still zero fucks. Yeah. Yeah. You can't launder this reputation. It's too filthy to wash. It... I, I've said before, like, Activision is corrupt to the very core. Like, it is... The rot is so deeply ingrained. We still have a board that refused to oust Bobby Kotick because they thought he was doing a good job, even as allegations came out that he threatened to have an assistant murdered. Yeah. Like, you can't rehabilitate that. You can't fix that. You certainly can't put a smiley face on it. And and that's the thing. Like, I don't doubt this person could do good work and fix some things and that that is possible. But also, you can't bandage over the problem without, you know, if you don't get rid of the rot, the problem's just gonna persist. Mm -hmm. You can you can paint over the rot as much as you like, but the rot will continue to rot. So just keep an eye out for that. They're trying real hard to to launder that reputation. They're trying real hard to do anything except fix the core problem. Yeah, like they. I've never. I've. I've. Well, I say never. I've rarely seen just a group of people so desperate to to put in more effort into. Being cruel. Yeah. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, they're, they're so committed to being abusers that they're jumping through hoops that they don't have to, that, that they wouldn't have to do if they just fixed the problem. <sighs> yeah. There comes a point where cruelty is company policy, and Activision Blizzard is at that point. 
Yeah. Uh, I got I got one last story I've saved for the end because, you know, it's not about corrupt culture within video games or any of that shit. I think video games have officially gone too far. Yes. They've stepped over the line. Video games don't... Video games have crossed over the line and should stop. They've invented VR tech that can simulate the feeling of spiders crawling on your lips. The fuck? That sounds so hot. I mean, concerning. <laughs> what? They. Oh, <sighs> God, one of these. Another one of these. Went ahead and did it without ever considering if we should. Moments. Yeah, yeah. They they did, and there's no reason why they should have done. No, and... I think Steph's. I think Steph's onto something. This was someone's kink. Someone wanted this for reasons. Yeah. Um. So the the short version is that uh, they use ultrasonic energy of some kind that they can aim at specific points and make you feel certain physical sensations. And some of them, some of the ones they suggested were pretty normal, you know? They they had some where it's like, uh, you know... Oh, what, what, what were the examples that were normal? There were some normal examples. <laughs> I can't fucking find them now. All, all I'm seeing is all the pictures of spiders on the fucking article. Um, uh... You could feel things like a tapping on your face, like very normal things, uh, in the grand scheme of things. But no, they they have a tech demo where it's just go in a haunted house and insects and spiders crawl all over your face and there's spiders in your mouth. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, sorry, I found the other ones. They They made a school with a water fountain you could drink from and a break room where you can have a drag on a cigarette. And a motorcycle game where the wind blows on your face. Like, those those are normal tech demo things you could do. You don't have to put spiders in my mouth. <laughs> Why do they want to put spiders in my mouth? <laughs> I'm, I'm done with video yeah, games, I quit. I think that's it. I think video games are over. They're cancelled forever. This is the point where I become the old person and like the the younger generations will be like, ah, all video games have spiders crawling in your right? mouth tech now. You goddamn kids with your spiders in your mouths. I remember when you could play video games and it didn't feel like there were spiders in your mouth. I remember the days back in the day. It's like I've always said, you get these liberal arts students on campus shoving handfuls of spiders in their <laughs> mouths. It's what they all do. <laughs> Is is this is this the moment I lose touch with the popular culture? Oh, I feel you know I what? fear it is. Conrad and I have been there for mm. a decade. You're gonna do just fine mm. with the olds. Yeah, I didn't realize VR spiders would be my moment. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's it for this yeah. week. We we did it. Well, I tell you what, we, we're done. We might not want spiders on our lips, but I know our listeners are going to be crawling all over the kind of content you make, Laura, and you could tell them all about that. I'm sure. Oh, hell yeah, Laura K Buzz in all the places on the internet: Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Just go search Laura K Buzz. You'll find all the things in all the places. What about you, Conrad? Oh, well, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you could watch me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. Uh, buy anti-capitalist propaganda from it, pinfultruth.com, audiobooks, conradreads.com, um, and everything I do online gets supported through Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling. Gasp! La gasp! It is me, 
James Stephanie Sterling. You can support the show and everything I do at patreon.com slash jimquisition. I also live stream at twitch.tv slash jimsterling. Uh, you can also check me out at, well, you can't check me out at the next two uh, wrestling dates. They have both sold out. Um, but I will be in Newcastle this weekend and then in Sheffield on May 29th. But on June 11th in Blackpool, England, I will be taking part in the UK's first ever LGBTQ plus wrestling event, Pride of the Ring, hosted by PCW. Um, I, if I remember, if it, I'm always doing this from memory. I believe ticket information is at buy.at slash PCW. Um, but do check it out. If, if you can't find it, just look up PCW Pride of the Ring. Uh, yeah, I'm booked to appear, as is a number of other preeminent um, queer talent in the UK indie wrestling scene. Uh, I'm very excited. This is going to be huge. This might be the biggest thing I've done so far. Um, we will see. And hopefully I'll see you there. And we will certainly all see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.